All right, before we jump right into that passage, I'd like to talk to our young ones here and let y'all know what the passage is going to be about, uh, that we're going to read what the sermon is going to be about. So, uh, young ones, if I can have your attention, in Romans chapter 8, that's where we are, uh, at, right at the beginning of chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says this amazing thing, he says, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here's what he's talking about. Do y'all, uh, kids, do y'all know much Greek mythology? I used to love Greek mythology when I was a kid. Yes, got nodding. Okay, Richard's with me. Okay, so uh, in Greek mythology, have y'all ever heard about the sirens? Okay, the sirens in Greek mythology are these beautiful women. They're these like angel-like women creatures, and they have the most amazing, beautiful voices. But they're super evil. Okay, they're super bad. And what they do is, they sing the most beautiful songs out at sea. And sailors who are out at sea, they hear the song of the sirens, and, and, they're, and they're enchanted, and they start sailing toward the voices. They start sailing toward the sirens. And what ends up happening is they crash their ships on the rocks by the sirens, and they go down into the depths, and they drown, and they die. And the sirens love it. Okay, it's awful. So, one time this guy, Odysseus, is a hero in Greek mythology. This guy, Odysseus, he's trying to get his guys, his men, home from a war, and he knows they're going to sail by these sirens, and he knows what's up, so he orders his men. He's like, you guys put wax in your ears, okay? And then I'm going to listen to this song. Y'all tie me to the mast of the ship, but don't listen to me, okay? Don't take the wax out of your ears. Don't listen to me, okay? So they sail by the sirens, and, and the men are fine because they've got wax in their ears and they're just kind of doing this and they're kind of rowing as hard as they can to get out of there. And Odysseus hears it and he starts going nuts. He's tired. He's like, oh, untie, like, oh, we got to go, go toward the sirens. Like, go untie me. Let's go. Let's go. And it's just driving him insane. Okay, that's a picture of how a lot of Christians try to make it through life. Uh, like Odysseus tying himself up and we stick wax in our ears. And, and, and it's this thing of like, I'm going to try to do my very best to beat my sin. I'm going to work my hardest to like not do temptation anymore and just not give in to it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to stay away from all bad stuff. And hopefully I'll make it through life okay. Okay, that doesn't work. But there's another time, another time with these sirens, this guy Jason and the Argonauts. They're sailing by the sirens. They try something different than Odysseus. They've got this guy named Orpheus with them. And Orpheus, he's on board, and he is the greatest musician ever. And so they tell Orpheus, hey, play your harp for us as we're sailing by. So Orpheus breaks out his harp, and he starts playing just the most unbelievable music, and it totally drowns out the sirens. And so they're just sitting there listening to Orpheus, and they just sail on right past the sirens safely, and they live. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's going to talk about today. Like, do you want to change for the better? Like, I want to stop doing the things I know I'm not supposed to be doing. I want to do the things that, like, Jesus wants me to be doing. I want to love people better. I want to love Jesus better. Like, if you want to change just trying harder and, like, I'm just going to follow the rules, that doesn't work. You can't do it on your own strength. But being led by the Spirit, this is it right here, being led by the Spirit is like listening to the Holy Spirit play and sing the song of the gospel for you. And the song of the gospel, it drowns out the sin and the temptation in your life. It's like this, 
the Holy Spirit plays the song of the gospel of Jesus' death. And you hear this song about Jesus' death, about how he came and he died for your sins to save you because he loves you. And that makes you, I don't like my sin. Like more and more you like hate your sin and you love Jesus. And then he plays the song of the gospel uh, uh, about Jesus' new life in heaven, this resurrection life, this life of glory. And you hear it and you're like, oh my goodness, I want to be in heaven with Jesus. Like that's the life I want. It's called this thing of like heavenly mindedness, like setting your mind on the things of heaven where Jesus is. That changes you. It's that gospel that you hear that the, that the Holy Spirit plays in you. That's the power for change. That's how God works in you. Playing that gospel song for you. It's the Holy Spirit singing that song. And little by little, you do. You change. The power's not you. It's God. That's the awesome news Paul is going to give us today. Look to Jesus. Keep running back to the gospel. That is the power for change, as well as the power for salvation. The word law here, everyone, appears 23 times in Romans 7. So we're, 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 we're in chapter 8, coming out of chapter 7, where you see the word law 23 times, which does not include the word commandment, which you hear six times. And Paul has been saying there, relying on the law, it cannot save us from the penalty of sin. And relying on the law cannot save us from the power of sin, the presence of sin, once we have been saved. So the law can't save you, and the law can't change you. Even once you have been saved, you don't look to the law. And if you rely on the law to save you or change you, the law is going to drive you nuts. It's going to drive you, make you a crazy person because you're still going to struggle with sin. Now here... The word spirit, capital S, spirit, Holy Spirit, appears 21 times. So there's a shift here. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness." And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, 
than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul brings us full circle to what Paul uh, began uh, saying in chapter 1, that you know, once you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, there's no more threat of punishment for you. There's no more threat of judgment because God has already punished Jesus in your place. This is, this is freedom from condemnation unto glory, and that cannot change for you. Which is this thing of like, Paul's giving us present assurance of future glory in the midst of our present struggle with sin. And, okay, and we hear, we hear about the forgiveness of sins, and the thought can, it can be something like this, like, oh, that's great. Like, I, like, really, like, that is great. I will take forgiveness of sins. But my life is still a mess. I still struggle with sex. I'm a workaholic. I still struggle with anxiety. I still struggle, struggle with anger. I'm still competitive and jealous. I'm still impatient. Uh, I'm still not content. I still struggle hating people that hate me. I, I, I love being forgiven. Like, I love it. And I, and I want more. Like, I want to change now. I don't want to keep doing the bad things that I don't want to be doing. I want to do the good things that I, that, that I keep not doing. I mean, we all hear, like, have you not felt the weariness of not changing? And here Paul says something new in chapter 8, and it's full of assurance. Paul is describing two kinds of people here in chapter 8, but he is not talking about two kinds of Christians. Paul, uh, Paul knows the present struggle with sin, but he's not saying it's possible for Christians to be in the flesh at times, like, like when you sin, and then at other times to be in the spirit when you go to a worship service and the music or the preaching is really good. And so it's like, man, I lost my temper today. I was in the flesh. And then it's, you know, that worship today was awesome. I was totally in the spirit. Okay, no. Christians do not go in and out of the flesh and the spirit. If you read this like that, then Paul is giving you like a warning here of you, you better stay in the spirit. You better do it. Like, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there are two kinds of people in the world. A Christian is in the spirit and an unbeliever is in the flesh. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Like, that is not a command like, this is how you'd better live. That, that is a statement of fact. There are two modes of existence. In the spirit, those are Christians. In the flesh, those are unbelievers. And usually we think of like, we hear that language of in the flesh, and that refers to something sexual. Okay, not necessarily. It's the person who is just living for money. It's the person who is just living for success. It's the person who is just living for comfort. A person whose whole life is their marriage or their whole life is their kids. If you're not living for Jesus in his kingdom, then you're living for something of this world. You're living for this world. And that is idolatry. That is to be in the flesh. Verse 6, Paul says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. So if you say, 
something to the effect of, like, I just, I don't want Jesus. I don't want the church. Like, the only God in my life will be me. No authority other than me. I want what I want. Uh, if, if that's it, if you give yourself over to that will, in, in one sense, yeah, in one sense, you, yeah, you'll be living, but you'll be, uh, it'll be a living death. And what does that living death lead to in the future? Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And that's not just future bodily death. That's death death. That's forever death, where the body and the soul fall under eternal condemnation. So, so you know, mind experience. Like, think of your favorite, just in your mind's eye, like, think of your favorite celeb. Uh, think of your favorite musician. Think of your favorite athlete. It, like, they may be full of life. They may be living on top of the world, okay? So you got that person. Okay, now think of the oldest Christian that you know. Like just the, don't say, just the oldest Christian you know, very worn out looking maybe, maybe can't walk under their own power anymore, uh, maybe really quiet, you know, maybe mumbles. Uh, okay, the first person may look alive, but if they don't have the spirit of Christ in them, they're not alive. They're the walking dead. The old Christian who looks like a zombie is alive with the Spirit of God indwelling them, full of glorious, powerful life. The Spirit indwelling you, that is the power for new life and for change. So before you were a Christian, you could not beat your sin by trying to be good. Jesus had to do it for you. And now that you are a Christian, you still can't beat your sin by trying to be good. Just be good. Just be good. Someone else has to do that, for, that battle for you too, and that's the Holy Spirit. So like what Jesus did uh, in his life and in his death and resurrection, he has overcome the penalty of sin. He has overcome the dominating power of sin in your life. Once for all, he accomplished that salvation for you. And now, by the power of his Holy Spirit, whom he has sent to indwell you and unite him to himself, now Christ is working out through his spirit that salvation in you. It's what he's done for you, and now it's what he's doing in you. And this is not a battle that he can lose and, and, or that you can somehow lose for him. That's the assurance. What, what, what that does mean is that there is a fight going on inside of you. The presence of sin, it can tear you down. It can, it can make you, it can at the very least, you know, make you miserable. It can make you doubt God. Uh, it can add misery to your, your family, your friends, your, your church. Sorry, not at the least, at the most, it can make you miserable. Now, that does raise a question. How does Paul, okay, here he is, like, giving us this assurance, like, how does Paul address the church in Rome as if he knew that they were one of two of these people? Like, sure, Paul can't see into people's hearts to see if they're redeemed, but, like, also, Paul has never been to Rome. Paul has never been to this church. He's writing to a church telling them, hey, you Christians in Rome, you have the Holy Spirit. Like, how can Paul know that just because people go to church? Like, because uh, Paul will say, just in the next few chapters, 9, 10, 11, Paul is going to say that not everyone in the church in every town is really a Christian. But here, he is talking to the church with what's called the judgment of charity. Which, the judgment of charity is, is this thing of, even though you may not know a Christian super well, 
if they profess Christ and they're part of the church, then you assume their profession is genuine. That's what Paul is doing. Paul is assuming with the judgment of charity that the professing Christians he's writing to in this church in Rome are who they say they are, and he'll treat them as such until they prove otherwise with an unchristian lifestyle. And this is really important. Uh, This charity is really important here because Paul has to exhort them. You know, using this judgment of charity, he now exhorts them that we need Christ and we need the Spirit to do this sanctification work in us, to do this transforming, changing work in us. But that does not mean that you are entirely passive in sanctification. Because sanctification is by faith. You know, we see justification, how you get right with God, that's by faith. Well, it's not that, okay, now sanctification is just all my job. No, it's the Holy Spirit working in you. And sanctification is by faith. Like, if the Holy Spirit does the fighting, then what do I do? Do I just let go and let God? Like, no, then that doesn't mean anything. No. Uh, Do I have any responsibility? Yes. Paul says, verses 5 and 6, Christians don't set their minds on the thing of the flesh. That's death. Christians live according to the Spirit, and they set their minds on the things of the Spirit because that's life and that's peace. Okay, what does that mean? Well, Jesus told, him, told us himself, like what does he mean to set the mind on the Spirit? Jesus told us himself that he would send the Holy Spirit to his people and the Spirit would glorify Jesus. Jesus, it, it, like he's going to glorify Jesus. The, the Spirit is going to point you to Jesus. The, Jesus literally says, he says, the Spirit is going to come and remind you all that I did and all that I said. He's going to point the Spirit, the, per, the third person, of the Trinity is going to point you to the second person of the Trinity. And so what do you do to change? It's not this. You don't need more of the Spirit. If you've got the Spirit, you've got the Spirit. Who is the power that changes you? You need to follow the Spirit's lead to keep looking at Jesus with faith because that's where he's leading you. Y'all ever heard that thing, monkey see, monkey do? Like monkeys love to mimic people. You know, people love to mimic people. Uh, children like to mimic their parents. Baby, I mean, babies learn how to speak because they've got these people in their face saying, Mama, say ma, you know, Dada, say da. Uh, I, I got one kid who learned to yell at the TV watching sports just by watching sports with me. He knows how to watch sports. Uh, and Paul says the Spirit directs our eyes to Jesus in faith in two ways. Okay, two ways. One, Verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's called mortification of sin. It's such a fun word. Mortification of sin, which does not mean you put your sin to death once for all in your life. That's not what it means. He's describing an ongoing struggle, a lifetime struggle, not of living in sin, but fighting it. True story about a Scottish farmer up in the Highlands. Uh, this guy was a devoted atheist. He had a terrible temper, bad temper. So he's farming, and something goes wrong. And he gets real mad, and he kicks the pig. Uh, something breaks. He gets real mad. He kicks the Scottish llama. Like, he, he, had, he had an explosive, violent temper. And then one day, a Christian evangelist came to the village, and he, he held an open-air uh, worship service. And the farmer happened to be in the village on that day, and he heard this evangelist preach, Uh, heard him preach the gospel, and the farmer couldn't believe it. He believed it. 
couldn't he get like, oh my goodness, I really believe this. He started believing in Jesus. He genuinely, miraculously converts and he becomes a Christian. So back at the farm, he starts living out his faith. He starts praying. He starts reading his Bible all the time. He is attending Sunday worship. And a few weeks pass, and he's out in the barn working, and, and one of the cows kicks over the milk bucket, and he kicks the cow in anger. And a few moments later, he's running back into the farmhouse, and his wife is there in the kitchen, and he collapses at the table, and he starts bawling, weeping, head in his hands. He's staring at the ground. He's crying to his wife. It didn't work. It didn't work. Jesus came into my life. He died for my sins, but it didn't work. I'm still the same angry man I was before. And his wife is looking at him, and she says, look at you. You are weeping over your sin. You have never responded to your anger like this. The fact that you're sad over your sin, that is proof that Jesus has saved you and he is working in you. That's mortification. The farmer looks at his sin and he hates it, knowing what it cost Jesus. This, this new aspect of his inner life, it expresses itself in grief and sadness. That if, you, if you are sad over your sin, that's assurance. That should assure you the Spirit will direct you to look at Jesus' death because when you look at the death of Jesus, the Spirit will deaden your sinful desires more and more as you look to the cross more and more and you're less and less eager to fulfill those desires because Jesus' death is for your sin. This reflection and this hatred of his sin is going to work itself out in a renewed battle against it, and, and same for you. And the question is, do we hate our sin more than we used to? Do we see, this is it, do you, is the cross bigger to you today than it was yesterday? Do you see more of your sin today and more of your need of him? That's mortification. Two, the Spirit will direct you to look at Jesus' life, His risen, glorified life in heaven now, because when you look at the life of Jesus in heaven in all of its glory, the Spirit will energize your holy desires more and more so that you are more and more eager to fulfill those holy desires. Because Jesus' heavenly life, that is where you are headed. And, and, and that is the life that you, it, you stop and you think, yeah, I want that right now. That's vivification. Mortification, vivification, so fun to say those words. Uh, here, Paul, you read this chapter in, in chapter 8, and we're going to read the whole thing. You know, we'll finish it next week. But here, Paul is vivified, singing of Jesus in the heaven. And he, and, he, and he harps on, in a good way of harping on, like the, uh, he sings about the adoption uh, that we have, that we've been adopted as, as sons, that we are heirs of heaven. And amazing on the one hand, because those who are hearing this, in the ancient New Eastern culture, women had no rights. Uh, they could not inherit uh, the family estate. It all went to the sons. Women had no privileges. They were treated like subhuman, like a subhuman species. And Paul has the audacity to claim that in Christ you are all sons. Whew. The women love that. That's really, really good news. The privileges, the rights, the inheritance that goes to the sons goes to all in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. And then on the other hand, this is so amazing hearing this. Our, our scholars tell us that in the Roman legal system, everyone knew about adoption and everyone knew about how, and inheritance and how it worked. According to Roman law, 
if you were adopted, you were really made to be a child of that family. You really became a member of the family and so much more. Because as far as inheritance, listen, to the natural born son, according to Roman law, a natural born son of a Roman could lose their inheritance if you shamed, if you disgraced the family. An adopted child legally could not lose their inheritance no matter what. And these Roman Christians are hearing, God adopted you. And what is your inheritance? Jesus. Like we literally get Jesus. And what does Jesus get? We get what Jesus gets. And what does Jesus get? The kingdom of, of the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus does not get, please hear this, Jesus does not get what we are killing ourselves to get here in this life. He doesn't get that. He gets everything. And so do we. But it's back to that, it's, it's, so, it's so much better than just getting the cosmos, new, you know, new heavens, new earth, as awesome as that is, as much as we want to be there right now, it's ultimately because, Paul says, verse 17, we are heirs of God. We are heirs of God himself. Like, he means we inherit God. God gets us and we get him. This, this thing, all of it, all of redemption, the end of all of it is the revealing of the glory of God and you will stand before him and you will behold it all. Looking into God's face and seeing glory, infinite goodness, infinite beauty, infinite power, and you will hear, I love you. Uh, there have been multiple studies done uh, on, on this thing called the, convergen the convergence in the physical appearance of spouses. This is this study. Uh, there's one study that you know, the, many of these studies that have done this uh, attempted to determine whether people who live with each other for a, a long period of time grow physically similar in their facial features. Photographs of couples when uh, they were first married and 25 years later were judged for physical similarity and for the likelihood uh, and for the likelihood that they uh, that they were married. Okay, wait. Photographs of couples that well, when they were first married and 25 years later judged for physical similarity, and the results showed that there is indeed an increase in apparent similarity after 25 years of cohabitation. Moreover, increase in resemblance was associated with greater reported marital happiness. The implication holds further that two people who live with each other for a long period of time, by virtue of repeated empathic mimicry, would grow physically similar in their facial features. So, it says, kin resemblance, like kids, uh, therefore may not simply be a matter of common genes, but also a matter of prolonged social contact. <laughs> I, know this, I know this one person who now talks like her husband with her hands, like, you know, every now and then. Uh, like, this stuff is true. Like, you start mimicking those you love. It's something like that, like heavenly-mindedness. Set your mind on the things of heaven, where Jesus is, where you will be in glory forever. And the Spirit is changing you more and more to look like Jesus right now. now Easter is next Sunday. And uh, so many churches today are celebrating what has come to be known as Palm Sunday uh, when Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time and he was welcomed by the people shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches. Okay, that ascent up to Jerusalem, Jesus going to claim his kingdom and his people, it ended with Jesus ascending a cross. And that ascent to the cross, it began with a descent from heaven. 
with the Son of God coming down from heaven. Okay, that descent was, the God, was God the Father sending God the Son. So you read verses 2 and 4 here right at the beginning. How is it possible this glorious future cannot change when we are still so embattled in our struggle with our sin to change? And it's because, Paul says, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That law of the Spirit, that, that, like, what does that mean, the law of the Spirit? That law of the Spirit is in contrast to the law of sin and death, which is the, referring to the Mosaic law between God and Israel. So the law of the Spirit refers to this other law covenant, this covenant of works between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, where God the Father gave work to God the Son, like to live for us, fulfilling all righteousness. Go down and live for them. Live the life they should. And then you have to die. You have to die the death that they deserve to die to pay for the penalty of sin and break its power. Okay, Jesus. Jesus would accomplish that salvation and then the Spirit's role to apply that salvation and to work it out in us. Okay, that covenant of works, that law, that law of the Spirit sets you free if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are in Him by faith. And it says here that the Father sent the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And this is really important. This is an important qualification. This is everything here for Paul. On the one hand, the Son of God really did become a man. Like, in the likeness of sinful flesh means Jesus was, was fully God and fully man. Jesus was not a ghost. He was not a temporary manifestation of God in bodily form. It's that thing of dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly but still omnipotent. Thank you for all the power of your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Like, Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby is not wrong. Like, Jesus was a real baby. But Paul saying, and in the likeness of sinful flesh reminds us that Jesus was not like us in every way. He did not possess a sin nature. In the incarnation, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit without sin, without a sin nature like us, but born with a human nature like us. And it says he came for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He came for sin, meaning he was born to die. And not like just the bodily death, 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 forever death, eternal death for us. And so to us, yes, we still die. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, it is the thing you have been redeemed from death to life, but yes, your body will die. But for you, Christian that is not a sign of judgment or condemnation. And I know, I know, and I know especially this week, a lot of us, I know for all of us here just going through the daily grind, I know you feel powerless. And Paul says the road to glory is a road of suffering, but you are not powerless because the Spirit of God Himself dwells in you. You have Jesus you have the Spirit sent to you from the Father, and they will get you back to the Father. Though your body dies, your salvation is secure, and you will live. Those that have died in Christ, they are more alive now with Christ than they ever were in this world. And that 
Even there, that's not the end. This is the end. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we too, we want to take up that, that proclamation of Hosanna. Glory uh, to you in the highest. Uh, because you've done what we cannot do, could not do, and you are doing right now what we cannot do for ourselves by the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling us. Thank you for your Spirit. We praise you for your love. And we praise you for your grace. And we praise you for how you are preserving us in this faith right now, even, even on the days, in those seasons, which feel like forever, where we, where we don't feel it. We know it's true by faith. Give us faith. May the cross be bigger today than it was yesterday. And may we think on our Lord and Savior. Draw our minds to heaven Give us that heavenly mindedness. Set our hearts and our minds on Christ who is alive from the dead, who reigns and who is coming for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.